slight disclaimer then for this morning, if that's okay, folks. Uh, we tend to get quite a few guests and newcomers here, which is lovely. Uh, and I just wanted to say for you guys who recognize yourself in that category, just listen, be encouraged, take away what you want to. But I kind of feel this one's more for the family. Um, some, if you recognize yourself as someone who uh, is part of us, you're a hoper. Hope Church is your family, your brothers and sisters, and you're plugged in and connected to us. And we recognize you in that sense. This is for you guys. So if you're a guest or a visitor, just be encouraged. But uh, this is mostly for those of us who are brothers and sisters. Uh, and also, just to say age, this is not something that's just for those who are established in families. It, this applies to you students. This applies to people who are single or married. This applies to those who are just starting out in their career, and you'll see where I'm going with this, or whatever work it might be for you, uh, and those who are fully you know, established or going on, whatever. It doesn't matter. This crosses all of those boundaries, if that's okay. So this morning... I'd just like us to pause from our usual journey, which if you've been with us for a little bit now, we've been traveling through with the Apostle John and his gospel, the fourth gospel of John. Just want to put a little pin in that just for this morning uh, and just give us a reminder of the importance of generous giving. So you've obviously heard about Alex and Dima, for example, and received that call to give and to be generous towards our mission together. It's not Alex and Dima's mission, it's Hope Church's mission, which they are flagging, which they are representing, which we are sending them out to be ambassadors for the gospel, for the kingdom, but on behalf of Hope Church. Uh, and just how important it is to remember to continually be cultivating that culture of generous giving as we go on as a family. Uh, more specifically then, for us to receive afresh, as I've said, just how crucial it is to continually cultivate a spirit among us of generosity, of generous giving. And fair enough then, fair enough, by all means, you might be thinking, what an inappropriate time to bring up or to preach on such a topic like this. So we've poured so much of our money already into this building. And just this week, if you're on Facebook in particular, you would have seen the progress we've made. You know, one of our, one of our own octogenarians, he's not in this gathering, so I can say that, has been laying our carpet down. It looks beautiful just out there on the foyer. Uh, and different things, the petit room being finished. We've seen the results that our generous giving has produced, the fruit of it in this building. But it's been over... A few years, we've been pouring generously into the building. We've recently sent funds to our Malawan churches who experienced Storm Freddy and the floods there. Rich, you might remember last Sunday, gave us a bit of an update. He showed us some pictures just to see what our money has practically purchased for them. All the aid, all the provisions that they need uh, as churches connected to us go and help those who are in need devastatingly out there um, and then not just a few weeks ago as well it was mentioned you might remember this our increased step of faith to uh, rise our giving in expectation by eight percent so if you're not a financial person you may have just let that wash over you just know okay maybe I need to consider prayerfully to give more but uh, that's 
not a, you know, not a humongous leap, but it is a big enough leap that there's an element of faith in that. So we're hearing all these different things we've been giving, we've been being generous towards, and you might be just thinking, give us a break. <laughs> give us a rest. <laughs> Help us to chill out and collect ourselves for a season. But, but, I think it's at times such as these when we feel we have given so much already and deserve that break that we can fall prey to a lapse in our spirits towards <laughs> generosity. That's when perhaps the enemy can creep in and whisper. Perhaps that's when our flesh can just take over. Perhaps that's just when we're like, no, you know, I'm just going to look after number one for a season. I'm just going to look to me, my interests and my needs for a season. But these are the moments when we need to go on excelling in the grace of given. When we feel like this or when we think that way, those are the moments we need to go on excelling in the grace of giving that God has given us. Uh, and that's what I'd like us to look at then from God's words this morning, how we can excel in the grace of giving. And we're going to do that by looking at a situation Paul was experiencing that we read in 2 Corinthians. It'll appear on the screen, but if you want to read it in your Bibles, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. Let me just read what we see Paul's situation here. So this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, able and even beyond their ability, entirely of their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected. And then to us in keeping and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us... See that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. So four things I just want us to look at this morning. First of all, how giving is best expressed willingly, not forcefully. Secondly, giving is rooted in grace. Thirdly, giving reflects something of the gospel. 
And lastly, what does God's grace then enable us to excel in exactly? So firstly, then, let's look at how giving is best expressed willingly and not forcefully. As the New Testament records then, the good news of God's grace burst onto the scene in Jerusalem. Paul, when he was writing 2 Corinthians, was writing in the not too distant future since all the events that were recorded in the Gospels happened. All of those historical events to do with Jesus Christ, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and then the birth of the church we now encompass together all these years later. The arrival of Christ, his death, his resurrection, all that this bought for us as his disciples, people receiving the Holy Spirit and thousands becoming part of this new community called the church came into existence. That's the backdrop as to what Paul is writing in uh, 2 Corinthians. One feature, though, of this new faith community was that they stopped hanging on to stuff. The church learned to stop hanging on to stuff. Possessions that used to give them security and identity, instead they shared with anyone who had need. And in fact, just a side note, side note you might, be, might not be aware of this, but uh, even when there was that cost of living crisis, hopefully it's okay to say this, when there was the cost of living crisis for those who we would believe have experienced great difficulty with that, we as a church just decided we're going to set aside a little pot so that if anyone is really in dire straits, we know they know they can come to us and we can see what they can do. Not tooting our own horn as a church here, just explaining that that's what the church is about. Making sure that no one is in those dire straits, that complete and utter neediness. And we are not there to help them. We are there to help and provide and look after one another. They shared with anyone in need. The Bible describes the church then as having, amazingly, no needy persons among them. The New Testament is described as a church in those days, and we have faith that it goes on even to this days, sometimes lower, sometimes higher. No needy person among them. Everyone was cared for, looked after, and provided for. They shared so then, as we read in that portion of scripture, Paul is planning a special offering for the poor in Jerusalem, not unlike what Rich has taken the lead on with us, looking after those who are poor in Malawi that we've become aware of, brothers and sisters, churches who relate to us. We want to bless them so they can bless their communities and their help. It happens similarly with Paul. We're reflecting Paul. So he's looking after, he's wanting to have this special offering for the churches there, for the church in Macedonia, uh, in which he has already received contributions from the Macedonian churches he serves. So Paul, he's an apostle, he's a father figure to all these bunches of churches who know and love him, who he relates to, who he strengthens, he encourages, he teaches, he disciplines, he fathers. He does all the things that a dad does, but in the spirit. And there's a bunch of them in a place called Macedonia. And there's a bunch of them in Corinth and the surrounding areas. So he's going around just seeing who can help these brothers and sisters out because they're not just friends of mine, they're friends of yours. If you're part of the church then another church is your friend. We're in the same family and we want to meet the needs 
as they present themselves to one another. But, you know, I think what's striking about the verses we read through, especially in the first few, there were a key, few key phrases that stood out to me. And they were, firstly, they were entirely of their own. Another one urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing. And then thirdly, they gave of themselves. And the reason that those pop out to me is that I think they are windows that peer into the heart of the early church. And it's a heart, I think, that shows us how generous they were and how their hearts beat willingly to give as they were not commanded, as Paul will go on to say, but as the need presented itself to them. Their heart beat willingly to give generously. And, you know, you think of Robin Hood, classic situation, not the Russell Crowe version, awful. Who was the other guy who did the classic one? What's his name? Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner's version, who didn't even bother to do an accent, just kept being American. I love it. Um, and Severus Snape, whoever that actor is. Alan Rickman, yeah. Great film, watch it. Sunday afternoon film, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. That's what it is, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. But Robin Hood, you know that situation, classic uh, myth, possibly myth, I think it's a myth, may not have been, who knows. But Robin Hood, steal from the rich, give to the poor. He forced it out of those who were in power, out of those who were influential. I know in the films and in the shows, they're kind of portrayed as those who are like, no, you know, oh, poor people, oh, don't want anything to do with them, don't want to blah, blah, blah. And you've got the sheriff of Nottingham who's collecting all the taxes and he's collecting a little bit more than he should be and he's just completely running dry all of these English villages and towns, etc. But it's being forced. It's either being stolen by Robin Hood, which wasn't good, by the way, as though he elevates that character as a hero. It's never good to steal. There's never really a good reason to steal. But of course, equally, those who were in power and influence were completely, you know, clenched fists, wouldn't give anything away, had nothing of no generosity whatsoever. But when you either steal something, obviously, but even when you force something, when you try to manipulate, when you want to try and coerce it out of people, it equally is not healthy or helpful. It doesn't go right at the end of the day. You can't force the heart but you can influence the heart. You can set an example to the heart. I think forcing something of our willingness completely destroys the ability to willingly want to give. It's about being an example. It's about setting it before you. It's about being open and invitational. This is what's going on. This is what we would love to do. And we leave it. We trust you. It's about trust. Robin Hood didn't have trust. The powerful people didn't have trust. Paul comes at it from a place of trust. We trust that you will give Corinthian churches to these Macedonian churches, but we leave it with you. So the Corinthian church wasn't forced to give. They weren't compelled, they weren't manipulated, and they were not coerced to do so. Paul himself says, I do not command you. He didn't lay down a law or say, these are the rules if you want to be part of this church. You have to give this certain amount of money at this certain amount of time, no matter what your situation is, otherwise you're out of the church. That was nothing like the heart of Paul or the apostles or the early church. He didn't want a reluctant or a grumbling 
kind of giving, which is usually what happens when force is applied, I think. That's just the natural outworking, grumbling, complaining. Instead, he wanted a sincere offering from the heart, a genuine offering from these brothers and sisters' hearts, a genuine and an authentic desire to sacrifice what little they may have just to benefit greatly for what others were in need in. So we too then, here at Hope Church, we are not forced to give. Far from it, polar opposites. Instead, we believe that a sign of our ever-growing relationship to Jesus and ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in us, we trust, always comes down to trust, will manifest in an increasingly willing desire to excel in giving. It's not manipulation, it's not coercion, it's not forcing, it's not even expectation somewhat. It is hope, it's trust, it's relationship with one another. We're not forced, but are we willing? The question still lingers. We're not forced, but are we willing? Are we willing to go on excelling in the grace of giving? Giving is best expressed willingly, never forcefully, but still is the will there. And is the willingness growing? Secondly, then, giving is rooted in grace. Let's read again 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, and then 6 and 7. Paul, just to remind us, said again, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And then 6 to 7. So we urged Titus, who was a co-worker with Paul, since he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Here we read then that the Macedonian churches did not operate generously of their own accord. In some way, their generosity wasn't down purely and simply to themselves, but rather it was a result of God pouring out his grace upon those people, upon those churches. God's grace towards them activated a generous, a gracious giving rather, by themselves towards others. So when God's grace came upon the Macedonian churches, it activated a generous willingness to give graciously to other people. It had a knock-on effect. So then like a kid, and this may have been you when you were growing up, who tediously sets up those dominoes. Remember those dominoes? Uh, I remember an episode of a series called Malcolm in the Middle, if anyone remembers that, Malcolm in the Middle, amazing show. And it's this family, and Dewey, the littlest of the boy, he's like sick with chicken pox, and he has all day where the parents are out and his brothers, and sisters, his brothers are in school, and he sets up this elaborate dominoes. I think it's more than dominoes. He's even got army men. He gets things from like with the kitchen and everything. It invades the entire living room and the kitchen, and Hal, his dad, comes home, <laughs> and he just comes through the door, and he's immediately tempted throughout the rest of the day to not knock over a single one of those things. Because Dewey, he sets them all up, and then he's like, 
So you're going to knock them over? His dad says, you're going to knock them over? And he's like, why would I want to knock them over? This, this fun's just setting them all up. I'm just going to leave them for a while. And then the dad's just like, okay, okay, hanging back not to touch them. Because he knows when he knocks a single one of them down, all of them will knock down. The first one he knocks will hit the next one, will hit the next one, and it will have that domino effect and go on and on and on. So the kid, he lines up all these dominoes on the living room carpet. He knocks over the first one. And after that, the other all impact one another. And as they impact one another, they fall over. The next one impacts one another and falls over. So God, in a similar way, if you look at it like that, has influenced or impacted those Macedonian churches with his grace. His grace was the finger that knocked over that first domino and so it, it impacted the Macedonian churches. And as they were knocked over with the grace of God and wanted to generously give, so hopefully, Paul's hope, because sometimes we do need a nudge, but we'll get on to that. Paul's hope is the Macedonians, what's happened to them, it's going to knock over, it's going to impact the Corinthian church as well. And then as Paul goes on his travels and he goes to another church that he oversees and looks after and cares for, they'll have the same effect. They'll hear stories of the Macedonian churches. They'll hear stories of the Corinthian church. And so they'll be like, we want to be knocked over as well. We want to be impacted as well. We want to be influenced as well and go on giving. But though, like I said, of course, sometimes like with Paul and the Corinthians, we need a gentle reminder to go on in it. Not a forceful one, like we've mentioned, nothing like that, but regardless, reminders it's so easy to forget things. Our generous culture shouldn't be circumstantial, but part of our identity. Let me say that again. Our generous culture that we're building here at Hope Church shouldn't be circumstantial. It should be part of our identity. It should just be who we are because it's who we are because it's who we are. But our circumstances, rightly so, may influence how much we give. Yeah, being real, being honest, it will influence how much we give from time to time. We're in a cost of living crisis. You might have lost your job. You might have another kid on the way. This, that, what have you. It changes. It influences you. So we are filled, thankfully, with the Spirit of God who fills us with wisdom and discernment and friends so we can talk about stuff. And it affects how often we give as well, perhaps even. But circumstances mustn't dictate our desire and our ability to be generous. That's our identity. It's just who we are. So circumstances are to be taken into consideration, but they should never influence our identity, our our. our just natural spirit. We just want to be generous. We might not always be able to, maybe, perhaps, on the rare occasion, I'd like to say, whatever that looks like for you personally, but, you, but the attitude, the spirit, very much as we grow to know Jesus more and more is, oh, but I can't wait to really be able to. I can't wait to you know, give so much more than I already am given. I can't wait to give so much more often than I'm already given, uh, and God will make a way for that. That should be the identity. That should be the spirit of us rather than being dictated by circumstances or your environment or what's going on in your life etc so god's grace helps us to be gracious 
towards ourselves. We need to be gracious towards ourselves. We can't beat ourselves up black and blue. Can't beat ourselves with a rod saying, oh, I'm not giving enough, or, or somehow I know how much this person's giving, and that's just not my situation. Ugh, I feel guilt, I feel condemnation. None of that, that is ridiculous. That has no place in you or in our church or anything like that. But we do have God's grace to wisely reflect on our lives and our situations while knowing, ah, oh, yes, but I want to I give. I want to continue giving all that I can and all that I am. We know what we legitimately need. And there's a different difference between what we want and what we need. It's good what Jim said to remind us that even though it really does feel like it, and it's absolutely true, we live our own lives. So we have to live in our own lives. So if we're experiencing a hardship or a difficulty, then it is a hardship and it is a difficulty because it's your experience. But Jim is right to remind us we're one of the most affluent, wealthiest countries in the world when you compare it to Malawi or when you compare it to some other country that they can't even afford to wear a jumper that I'm wearing now or what have you. It's just a refreshing reminder, I think, a sobering reminder. So we need to be gracious to ourselves, absolutely, but in order that we can be gracious towards other people as well. Our generous culture should be rooted in grace and not in circumstances. Paul describes then the Macedonians as giving beyond their ability. Although we don't live under the Old Testament law that demanded a certain percentage, we do live with discipline and faith. The discipline of giving regularly and the faith to excel in it more and more from time to time. And it's a good principle anyway. It's a good principle. It's a good practice. It's a good guideline. But we get the privilege as the New Testament church to be more than what the Old Testament Israel was like. We get to give more than they had to give. And that's a privilege and that's a joy. It's a delight to be able to do that. So we don't live under compulsion, but we do live with discipline and with faith as well. It takes God's grace then to liberate us from clinging to money. His grace sets us free from putting our needs first Grace empowers us to say no to greed and self-interest and say yes to generosity and the interest of other people. Paul is definitely impressed with the Macedonians. He is impressed with them. They exceeded his expectation, he wrote to the Corinthians. They exceeded our expectations. However, he's more impressed with God's grace. Their generous giving didn't ultimately point Paul towards how great the Macedonians were. It pointed Paul to how great God is. That he poured out his grace on them and activated them, enabled them to give generously. Our culture of giving must be rooted in grace, supplemented by self-discipline and faith. And so therefore are we rooted in grace so we can excel in giving more and more. Then the next thing, giving reflects the gospel. Let's read again what Paul said in verse 9 quickly. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, for you know of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. It's only a brief sentence, but in that sentence, Paul reminded the Corinthians of what Christ had done for them. 
so that they would be inspired and motivated to do likewise for others. Out of his grace, Jesus became poor so we could become rich. Before his incarnation, when Jesus became a man, put on flesh and blood, when he took on human flesh, Jesus was rich in all things. Everything was made by him, everything was made through him, and everything was made for him. He owned everything. All things were his because he is God. Jesus is God. Everything is under his ownership. He was rich and possessed all things. He was the creator of it all. Jesus is wealthy in joy, glory, worship, honor, righteousness, perfection, among an inexhaustible amount of other things as well. He didn't need anything, but for our sakes, he became humble and was born as a man into poverty, into dire straits. Not only material poverty, but in one way, spiritual poverty. He left the intimate presence of God his Father for the glory in the glory of the kingdom to put on a weak, frail, and fallen nature. He never sinned, don't get us wrong, he never sinned, but he did experience the limitations of sinful humanity as he was tempted. And what was his most impoverished experience throughout his life as we read the Gospels? To die a criminal's death, mocked by his enemies, abandoned by his friends, disbelieved by his family, forsaken by God and having his anger poured out on him for the sins of the world, enduring the condemnation of our sins and our punishment in hell even. Naked, bloodied, bruised, Jesus was the poorest man who ever lived in that moment when he died on the cross for us. And all of that so we could be rich. He did all of that so we could be rich. All of that so we could experience what a guy called Martin Luther in the medieval times, a German guy, all of that so we could experience something called the beautiful exchange, the beautiful exchange, where we and our impoverished, dirty rags of sin were taken off of us by Jesus, and he graciously gave us his rich, clean clothes of righteousness. We got what Jesus had, Jesus got what we had, and we switched because of his grace. So Jesus, Jesus died for us in our place. So very lastly, because I know the kids are in. Uh, lastly, what does God's grace then enable us to excel in? Just a couple of things here. Firstly, we can excel at giving ourselves to God. Verse 5 says, the Macedonians exceeded our expectations. They gave first of all of themselves to the Lord. They gave themselves to God first. A true response to God's grace is to give ourselves to the Lord first. They gave themselves and all they had to do was look to Jesus. Let's do likewise. God doesn't want our money alone. He wants our entire being, our heart, our mind, our souls, our bodies. So let's submit more of ourselves to him as we go on being his disciple. And speaking quite frankly, your wallet is a good place to start, if I'm going to be blunt. It just is. It just is. You know, a per, you know the way to a person's heart by seeing what's in their wallet or what it's used for. So let's just accept that. We give ourselves to God first. Secondly, we can excel in our gifts to one another. We can be a blessing to each other as we go on 
from here. We can serve in different ways. We can give our time. We can give our energy. We can get involved in different teams that we're a part of, meeting up with each other, as well as coming together on a Sunday. But then also part of that is we can give something of what we earn as well to the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our church and in our mission, whether it's Alex and Dee, whether it's churches that relate to us in other countries, what have you. We can give to each other as brothers and sisters. Thirdly, we can excel in showing our love to the world. As we give to one another, as we're generous with each other, the world sees that and it knows something of God is in our midst, that we are transformed, we're changed, and they are pointed to God by just how generous we are with each other. And then lastly, uh, we can excel in reflecting Jesus. As we give generously, we are reflecting something of Jesus reflecting something of the gospel, the immeasurable greatness of what he gave, we can reflect something of that in the tininess of what we're able to give as well. And Jesus is seen as we do that as well. So then if we commit to these principles, God commits to multiply our provision so we have enough to meet our needs and some to spare, to go on giving more and more. So the challenge is, Will you excel? Will we excel in the grace of giving? Will we go on being generous with our time, with our energy, with our money as well? Because it's going towards God's kingdom, God's work, and it's being invested into our discipleship as we grow to love him more and more. Jim, over to you. Kids can come back in as well.